What, then, is this central principle which is at the root of all things? It is life. But not life as we recognize it in particular forms of manifestation. It is something more interior and concentrated than that. It is that unity of the spirit which is unity, simply because it has not yet passed into diversity. Perhaps this is not an easy idea to grasp, but it is the root of all scientific conception of spirit. For, without it, there is no common principle to which we can refer the innumerable forms of manifestation that spirit assumes. It is a conception of life as the sum total of all its undistributed powers, being as yet none of these in particular, but all of them in potentiality. This is, no doubt, a highly abstract idea, but it is essentially that of the centre from which growth takes place by expansion in every direction. This is the last residuum which defies our powers of analysis. This is truly the unknowable, not in the sense of the unthinkable, but of the unanalyzable. It is the subject of perception, not of knowledge. If by knowledge we mean that faculty which estimates the relations between things, because here we have passed beyond any question of relations and are face to face with the absolute. The innermost of all is absolute spirit. It is life as yet not differentiated into any specific mode. It is the universal life which pervades all things and is at the heart of all appearances. To come into the knowledge of this is to come into the secret of power and to enter into the secret place of living spirit. Is it illogical first to call this the unknowable and then to speak of coming into the knowledge of it? Perhaps so. But no lesser writer than St. Paul has set the example. For does he not speak of the final result of all searchings into the heights and depths and lengths and breadths of the inner side of things as being the attainment of the knowledge of that love which passeth knowledge? If he is thus boldly illogical in phrase, though not in fact, may we not also speak of knowing the unknowable? We may, for this knowledge is the root of all other knowledge. The presence of this undifferentiated universal life-power is the final axiomatic fact to which all our analysis must ultimately conduct us. On whatever plane we make our analysis, it must always abut upon pure essence, pure energy, pure being. That which knows itself and recognizes itself, but which cannot dissect itself because it is not built up of parts, but is ultimately integral. It is pure unity. But analysis, which does not lead to synthesis, is merely destructive. It is the child wantonly pulling the flower to pieces and throwing away the fragments. Not the botanist, also pulling the flower to pieces, but building up in his mind, from those carefully studied fragments, a vast synthesis of the constructive power of nature, embracing the laws of the formation of all flower forms. The value of analysis is to lead us to the original starting point of that which we analyse, and so to teach us the laws by which its final form springs from this centre. Knowing the law of its construction, we turn our analysis into a synthesis, and we thus gain a power of building up which must always be beyond the reach of those who regard the unknowable as one with not being. This idea of the unknowable is the root of all materialism, and yet no scientific man, however materialistic his proclivities, 
treats the unanalyzable residuum thus when he meets it in the experiments of his laboratory. On the contrary, he makes this final unanalyzable fact the basis of his synthesis. He finds that in the last resort it is energy of some kind, whether as heat or as motion. But he does not throw up his scientific pursuits because he cannot analyze it further. He adopts the precisely opposite course and realizes that the conservation of energy, its indestructibility, and the impossibility of adding to or detracting from the sum total of energy in the world is the one solid and unchanging fact on which alone the edifice of physical science can be built up.